Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership, and strategy to support smart women to change the world without anxiety, insecurity, and burnout. Some ways, the whole distinction between inward and outward is kind of an illusion because, for instance, systemic racism impacts me, uh, sexism impacts me, global warming impacts me. I mean, because we are part of this larger whole, problems in the system also impact me. On the show, we challenge the status quo and support you to unlearn harmful messages that keep you playing small so you can activate your superpowers and live with joy, confidence, and ease. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hello, hello, well women. Hello, women with anxiety and who are in burnout currently. Hello, women who are holding space for everyone but you. Hello, leaders who are second guessing themselves. Hello, change makers who identify so much with your work that you've lost yourself. And hello, mothers and caregivers who take care of everyone else at the expense of your own health and well being. I have a special treat for you today because we're going to talk about self-compassion. I know, I know that you might be kind of sick of hearing about self-care and self-love and self-compassion, but I'm here to say that I have been writing and speaking a lot about the idea that self-help and personal development, especially as an industry, have been so focused on individual work and the individual actions that we take that it really leaves out the necessity of working collectively and the work it takes to achieve justice. And so this is a special show for those of us who are leading change in the world, who are at the end of our rope in so many ways, and who are open to the idea that our self-compassion can be a tool for our work in the world. I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Kristen Neff to the show this morning to talk about this with me. She's an associate professor at University of Texas, Austin. She's a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research, and she has a new book out called Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. So we discuss so many of these topics. You can find the notes from today's show at wellwomanlife.com slash 254 show. You can also continue the conversation in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash community. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from the Well Woman Academy. That's our group coaching program at wellwomanlife.com slash academy. I'm speaking with Dr. Kristen Neff on the show today. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. It's so good to have you. We heard in the introduction that you really are a pioneer and a leader in self-compassion work. And I'm very interested to speak to you about your new work. But before we get into all of that, I would love just to know, who are you in the world today? So uh, currently, I'm an author doing all the work that needs to be done to try to launch her new book. So that's that's taking a lot of time. Uh, I'm also a mother of a 19-year-old autistic child, which um, he's doing wonderfully, but that's a lot of, you might say, my identity and what I spend my time on is trying to be the best mother I can be to him. Luckily, my self-compassion work helps me do that so that you are in a concert. Uh, but yeah, so I sometimes I joke that I'm an evangelist, but I really am. I'm really focused on spreading the word of self-compassion in, in the world because I've seen the huge impact it can make. Just even people knowing that this is a possibility can make a shift. Yeah. 
So yeah, that that's really important to me. I feel like I'm lucky. I feel like I have a calling, which is great to have a calling. This is my calling to, to spread the good word, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. And we talk a lot about that on the Well Woman Show, people finding their purpose. And so when do you think that happened for you? Like, is it something you've always known and you grew into it gradually? Or how did you come well, to know that? Yeah. I mean, so I didn't realize at first. So when, when I first learned about self-compassion, it was more of a personal practice. I saw the huge impact it made on my life. I'd actually, um, it, it was my last year of graduate school and I was under a lot of stress, a lot of stuff. My personal life was, you know, uh, stressful and I was feeling a lot of confusion and self-doubt. And so I went to practice, learn Buddhist meditation, thinking it would help my stress. And luckily for me, I mean, it could have gone another way, but luckily for me, the woman leading the group talked about self-compassion. She talked about the importance of being actively kind, warm, supportive to yourself as well as others. You know, and I wasn't even a particularly harsh self-critic, but I, it had never even really occurred to me that during this stressful time, I could actively support and be kind to myself. So I tried it out and I was just blown away by the huge difference it made. And then, so I did get a job at the University of Texas at Austin and um, took me a few years to figure out how to research it. I created a scale to measure it. But at that point, no one had really been researching self-compassion, you know, at least not in the way I had defined it. And so over, over the next few years, I was basically just me doing the self-compassion work, but I just kind of had a sense that this was important because of the fact that it, it's, it, it's so powerful and it's actually not very difficult to do. It's just treating yourself like you would naturally treat a friend. And then when other researchers started catching on to it, I started realizing that I was on to something. Uh, and then probably the big shift when, I, when it came, when I learned how to teach people to be more self-compassionate. And I have to thank my colleague, Chris Germer for that. He's the one who, he said, Kristen, it's not enough to say this is a healthy mind state. You need to teach people how to develop this mind state. And then I saw the impact it had on people's lives. And then I said, okay, this is, this is really, really important. I love that you really talked about how it was a personal experience for you first. I think that uh-huh. a lot of times how these things happen, like how we yes. find the thing that we're called to do or our purpose or our passion is really sometimes based on what we need to learn. Right. Ab- absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's still primarily a personal practice and yeah. it's secondarily something I study and I teach. <laughs> right. And so in your in your book that many listeners probably have already read, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself, you talk about about self you talk about compassion and the fact that in English, in the English language, we really didn't have a word for self-compassion. Like compassion didn't include the self. And so yeah. you and others, you know coined the term self-compassion, which indicates that we actually have to be intentional about being self-compassionate, right? And so is that a cultural thing? How did that come about? Well, it's it's really interesting. And by the way, some people say that they wish I hadn't called it self-compassion, but that I just called it inner compassion, right? Which is kind of, it doesn't have to be a sense of self or ego involved. It's just you aim it inward as well as outward. But, you know, I think, you know, the more I think about it, there may be some evolutionary reasons for this. There's a reason why we're quicker to self-criticism than self-compassion is because compassion really did involve to facilitate social interaction, right? So parents who are more able to be sensitive 
sensitive to the needs of their children, who you valued their children, who met their needs, who cared for them. You know, they, they were more likely to pass their genes on. And also cooperation in social groups. You know, we are, the, as human beings, we actually evolved in social groups. And so compassion was very important for efficient functioning. Uh, so I think the, in some ways, physiologically, the more natural reaction is self-criticism because what happens, especially if we fail, we feel threatened in some way, we go into fight, flight, or freeze mode, and we we turn it toward the threat, which often when the threat is us, because we feel inadequate or we fail, we, we turn it inward, thinking somehow it's going to keep us safe. So we beat ourselves up, thinking it's going to make us you know change or help us control the situation so we aren't unsafe. Or we flee in shame, we withdraw emotionally, thinking we're so horrible because we're afraid of the judgments of others. Or else we kind of freeze and get stuck and we ruminate. Uh, you know, where's your if you're, your best friend when they fail or something? You aren't personally threatened. So it almost feels more natural to draw on the care system to help them feel safe. But in a way, that's also part of its power. Because when we give ourselves compassion, we're actually like treating ourselves as we might treat another. Instead of being lost in our pain, we like step outside of ourselves and say, wow, you're having a really hard time. Can I help? And that perspective, I think, actually helps us have a different orientation toward our own pain, which is yeah. useful. But it yeah. takes a little more work. It's perhaps not as habitual. We yeah. have to practice it. It takes more work. It takes intention. and It um, takes intention, it does. But it can yeah. be developed as a habit, but it takes a little work. And so something I've been writing and speaking a lot about as I've developed the Well Woman Life framework and community is the idea that the self-development and self-help and personal development and even the spiritual industry, so to speak, has been so focused on individual work and do it, you know, self work that it really leaves out necessary, the necessary work of, of working collectively and, and working to achieve justice in a collective sense. And, and I have a real problem with that. And it's been a real focus of mine. And I'm so happy to see you writing about this because (laughs) You focus on how to balance self-acceptance with the courage to motivate needed change in ourselves and society. Yes, yes. And it's like, this is, this is what I've been like thinking about and, and getting annoyed about and like really trying to work out. And so I'd love you to just talk about how did you arrive at that? Right. So, well, again, like all my ideas, none of them are original. It's just kind of repackaged. Almost all ideas are repackaged forms of prior ideas said in maybe a slightly different way. Um, But in, in Buddhism, you know, and I do identify as a Buddhist, Uh, There's this term fierce compassion that people use for the action-oriented side of compassion. So compassion basically means concern with the alleviation of suffering. And there's really two main ways we do that. Sometimes we alleviate suffering through acceptance, by not judging, by, you know, being caring, nurturing, supportive. But sometimes we alleviate suffering by taking action. So, you know, look at Martin Luther King or Gandhi, you know, or Nelson Mandela. These were people who use compassion to stand up to injustice. So again, it's not really a new idea. And the term fierce compassion is used in in Buddhist circles for this type of stance. So I just, again, twisted it a little bit to say, well, we can also turn that fierce compassion, we can turn that fierce compassion inward as well as outward, right? And also in some ways, some ways the whole distinction between inward and outward is kind of an illusion because for instance, systemic racism impacts me. 
Uh, sexism impacts me. Global warming impacts me. I mean, because we are part of this larger whole, problems in the system also impact me. And and, and the way we are toward ourselves impacts others. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of that you have to use some terms just to have some sort of clarity, but they really they really break down if you look at them closely enough. So for instance, I I see the Black Lives Matter movement and the Me Too movement as self-compassion movements. People are standing up and say, hey, you cannot harm us anymore. I need to, we need to alleviate our suffering. We need to, you know, say, hey, you cannot keep harming us. It's not okay. And this is, I I like to call it mama bear self-compassion. And I, I kind of like that metaphor because when we think of compassion, we immediately think of female gender roles. And it is actually, that's why 85% of the people at my workshops are women, because men think, oh, compassion, that's a female thing, which in our society means it's weak because of patriarchy. But women also have access, and I shouldn't say just women, I think everyone has access to it. But the one part of female gender role socialization in which our fierceness is allowed is fierceness to protect our children. People don't like it if we're angry. People don't like it if we're too powerful or competent. But it's okay if we protect our children. So the idea of fierce mama bear is like a template available to us so we can tap into and to turn it inward and also to fight for social justice. Yeah. So in your, and I'm going to hold this up here, fierce <laughs> self-compassion in your, in your new book, you do talk about gender roles demanding that women be soft and nurturing yes. and not angry or powerful. And we talk about that a lot on this show. So how can we ensure that we're not just asking women to act more like men, which we did in the eighties and it didn't work. Like, right. I, yeah. So how can you distinguish yeah, well, because it's it's all about balance, right? It's all about balance and it's all about authenticity. So um, sometimes I like to use the terms in the book, I talk about it as yin and yang energies because they're a little more gender neutral. I mean, they've still been gendered, but you know, yin is the more soft, yielding, accepting energy of life and yang is the more forceful, active, you know, powerful energy of life. And from ancient Chinese philosophy, the idea is, you know, ill health is defined as these things being out of balance. And in order to be balanced, well, we need both. We need to balance them and integrate them. But what happens with gender role socialization is, you know, we say, oh, yeah, men are allowed to be fierce and women are allowed to be tender. They aren't allowed to be the opposite. And I think it really screws everything up. Um, And so I suppose in my ideal world, everyone would be able to access both energies and then express them in a way that's just right for them. No two people are going to express this the exact same way. And so it's not so much that if women acted like men, that would mean we're fierce without being tender. And if men acted like women, that would mean they'd be tender without being fierce. I mean, everyone needs both. And it probably will look a little different. I don't know how it's going to, and it's going to depend on the individual. So for instance, I like to say that I'm more yang than yin by nature. And my, my colleague, Chris Gerber, who's wonderful, he's probably more yin than yang compared to me. So gender or even gender identity isn't the same as these two energies. And so actually a lot of the problem is we try to stuff people into boxes in a way that really harms everyone. So what if we were just allowed to be our full, complete, whole selves? I also talk about this in my book, especially for women. You know, we feel like we are only complete and whole if we have the opposite to complete us. You know, so for heterosexual women, that's a man. And that women feel like if we don't have a man saying, I love you, you're beautiful, you're so special to me, that somehow we're incomplete. And that also is a big myth that messes women up, I think, because, of course, wholeness and completeness isn't found 
between people. I mean, it's partly found between people, but it's also found within us. Right. And when we do that, it's not like with, it's not within us in the small self. It's also within us in the big self in terms of our connection to life, to nature, to the divine, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so I, I really try to unpack all that in the book. I love it. And I, I think it's such an important distinction. And it's an important thing to talk about, you know, the, the gender roles versus feminine and masculine energies. Yes. Um, and, and, and I don't even like calling them feminine and masculine because that's yeah. the problem. Right. It's, like um, labeling everything. Yes. And that's, that's so, the issue. We've labeled it and it, yeah. to everyone's detriment, really. Okay. I'm speaking with Dr. Kristen Neff, author of her new book, Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power and Thrive. And we'll be right back. You're invited to join me for a brand new monthly group experience over in the Well Woman Academy. This is a monthly group that includes access to the full six-week course based on feminism, mindfulness, and the Well Woman Life Framework. It includes weekly groups coaching sessions with me, as well as office hours and a private Facebook group to share and grow. Don't get me wrong, this is hard work. But with these tools, you will easily find the time to do the course, get the coaching, and reach your goals monthly. If you find yourself worrying about whether you'll ever make it in the thing you're pursuing, waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety, lacking the energy you need to get everything done, stuck in some aspect of leading your team, procrastinating on moving forward with projects and tasks, or in a leadership role but second-guessing yourself constantly, I'd love to introduce you to the Well Woman Academy. It's for smart, high-achieving women changing the world who want to overcome anxiety, burnout, perfection, and insecurity. The result? You get to live your well woman life, a life of joy, ease, and abundance, even when things are tough all around you. Visit wellwomanlife.com slash academy to learn more. I'm back on the Well Woman Show with Dr. Kristen Neff, author of Fierce Self-Compassion. And Kristen, we're going into a segment called Superpowers for Success. It really helps listeners learn a little bit more about you as a leader, as a woman. And the first question I'm going to ask you is what does success in life mean for you? Uh, (laughs) So I have a saying, actually, the last chapter of my book goes into this. And one of my favorite sayings is the goal of practice is simply to be a compassionate mess. So what happens with the practice of compassion and self-compassion is your goals start shifting right? Instead of your goal being to get it right, your goal becomes to open your heart. And so of course, you st- it's not like you give up trying to get it right, or you become a motivated, you still try to achieve and you know, hey, I want I want to spread self compassion throughout the world, I would love to have the word get out there, you know, so it's not like I don't have those goals. But what becomes more important than, you know, hmm, achievement is how are you holding whatever's happening, including when you fail, especially when you fail. So I've been practicing, well, in Buddhism for almost 30 years now. I am still a mess. I'm, I may be marginally a little better at some things. You know, I've, I've made a little bit of progress, but not as much as you might hope after 30 years. But what I am definitely better at is holding the mess with compassion. And that actually becomes your goal. So in other words, when you fail, when you feel shame, when you make mistakes, what you start valuing is, can, can I open my heart to what's happening? That's actually the most important thing to me, because actually my goal is to open my heart. Mm. And once that becomes your goal, then then you're good. 
you know? And again, for those who immediately people think, oh, that means I'm not going to try. If your heart's open, just like a parent to your child, you love your child unconditionally. If your child fails, you don't love them any less, hopefully, but you want them to achieve because you care about them and you want them to be happy and, you know, fulfill their potential. And we start adopting that mindset with ourselves. And then when we fail, does it mean we're a failure? It means, okay, what can I learn from this? It's okay to fail. This is great. This is our best teacher. How can I use this to grow in wisdom? Yes. Yeah. I love that you talked about compassionate mess because, you know, on this show, we talk about like, what, what does it mean to be a well woman? And it's, it's everything, right? It's not this kind of picture perfect scenario of like the, the perfect woman, whatever that is, but it, it's really everything. It's, it's, it's meeting ourselves where we are accepting. And I agree with you. It doesn't mean that you're not achieving or you don't have goals. You don't want, you don't don't have a deeper desire to fulfill your potential, it means that you're present in the process. Yes, exactly. It's it's a way of being as opposed to a destination or right. goal. Yeah. So Kristen, when did you know, and you, you spoke a little bit about this in the first segment, but when did you know that you were really good at what you do? <laughs> um, that's interesting. So, I mean, I guess it depends what skill set you're talking about. I was always good at school, which is why I've never left it. You know, I went straight from a scholarship as an undergraduate to graduate school to a postdoc to an assistant professor physician. So, you know, I'm obviously good at school, you might say, at academic stuff. But in a way that to me, that's not my my highest value system. You know, and again, I'm just the messenger, right? So sometimes I think people almost confuse me with the message. They think it's me that's so impactful and powerful and meaningful. It's actually not me. It's self-compassion. I'm just the, the messenger because of whatever com, you know confluence of circumstances led me to be in the right place at the right time with the right experiences so that I could get the message out. And also the passion for it because I believe in it so strongly. I mean, I spend most of my time spreading the word of self-compassion because I'm so passionate about it. But when people started saying things to me like, well, this book changed my life or students saying this course was the most important course I took, you know, UT Austin. And, you know, I've even had, I mean, could you imagine how meaningful it is? I've had people tell me that, you know, it steered them away from contemplating suicide and, you know, okay, well then that's, I've achieved enough. And, you know, if I can do that for some people, then that's, you know, that's a good thing. That's so meaningful to me that, but and again, but it's not really me, it's the message, but it helps that someone has been out there really pushing the message. And now it's not just me. There's, you know, we have the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. There's self-compassion teachers all over the world. Yeah. There's hundreds of self-compassion researchers. So it's, it's, okay. it's a whole now. Yes, absolutely. And Kristen, can you describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being so you can do everything that you do? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I've learned from my for my mindfulness practice. And I'm, you know, I'm probably because I've been so busy, I don't have as good of a daily sitting practice as I used to. But what I do habitually, which is similar using mindfulness and compassion, is whenever I have difficult emotions, not whenever, I try to, sometimes I forget, but I try to um, relate to them in my body as physical sensation. 
So I've kind of learned this habit over the years of when I'm really upset or I feel, sometimes I don't even know what's causing the tension in my body. I can I don't even have a storyline attached to it, but I can feel the emotional tension in my body. And so I'll just work with it and I'll, um, I'll say things like may let go what no longer serves me or may let go. I try to set my intention not to hold on to whatever it is I'm holding on to that's causing the tension. I'll put my hands on that part of my body. I'll try to give myself some kindness and warmth. And I do that almost every day, often at three in the morning, actually, it often comes up for me. And I know that that's, it keeps me from getting too stuck, right? Because all that tension, that grasping, that's usually an ego identification or something that I'm not accepting or some way I'm getting bogged down. And by so continually releasing it, I think it helps me stay well and centered. Okay, that's a great tip. I don't have, it's kind of complicated, it's kind of abstract, but. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, it, it works. I, we have, uh, I have a few more questions and very little time. So we're going to go move through the last few questions quickly. Okay. Um, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? Well, I mean. You know that I call self-compassion a superpower. So the question, yeah, yeah. and I say it's in your back pocket. People don't even know it's there. So the fact that you have, I mean, it's amazing. The research is amazing that you have the power to give yourself the love, support, kindness, commitment that you so desperately wanted from others that you actually have that power. If you just have to remember you have it, that's mind blowing. Yeah. Um, and the practice is the remembering, right? Like we can, right. we can intellectually understand that and we can do all the work and read all the books. Yeah. But then it's the, in the moment, remembering, accessing, yeah. accessing that knowledge or that information, that tool. You can put sticky notes around your house. I mean, people do all sorts of things to remind themselves, you know, because it's actually once you remember, it's not that hard. That's a great thing. You don't have to like meditate and get into a state of samadhi. It's like, oh yeah, what would I say to a friend in this situation? Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of right what we're with, with women is to practice reducing the amount of time from the thing happening to your reaction, you know, so that, that, so that the remembering happens more automatically, but yes. Okay. And so what advice would you give your younger self, say your 25 year old self? That's um, what would, what advice I would give? I think maybe the advice just to trust kind of the, just kind of trust the unfolding of your life. Things are all happening for a reason, even though the things, you you know, are maybe unpleasant or difficult and you wish hadn't happened, that actually there seems to be some, everything that you're going to go through, you're going to learn from. And even the painful situations, you actually, as an older person, wouldn't, you don't regret going through them because they made you who you are. So don't worry about it. It's all happening for a reason. I would, I would probably let myself know that. Yeah. yeah. And then like, would you have listened is a whole other story, right? <laughs> well, actually, I kind of, you know, for whatever reason, I have generally gone with the flow in my life. I've kind of accepted the challenges that have been thrown down before me for whatever reason. I don't know why. Some of them are pretty darn tough. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Okay. And Kristen, do you identify as a feminist? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and it's so funny. Some, some of my friends, like, I hate that the word somehow means that you're a man hater or something like that. 
That just means that women as well as men need to be given equal respect, consideration, opportunity. To me, it's a good word. And I love, I can't, I can't tell you how excited I am because I used to be into my, I used to study gender and power relations and how that impacted the balance of concern with self and other. Then I found self-compassion and I was off on self-compassion. Then they've come together. It's like, you know, self-compassion in some ways is feminist (laughs) because of what it's saying is women, instead of the system is kind of rigged against us. You know, we're people will like us if we're self-sacrificing, if we meet other people's needs. Well, who does that serve? It doesn't really serve women. You know, if we don't include ourselves in the circle of compassion. So by fully claiming ourselves and claiming our power, it it quite naturally leads to um, equal consideration of all. And And by the way, I'm not the one to write this, but I think men need a book, Tender Self-Compassion, how men can harness kindness to like, you know, claim their emotional intelligence because it it equally harms men. The fact that they aren't allowed to be tender, they don't have access to the superpower that's so important for emotional resilience because of their gender role socialization. I'm glad you brought that up because I, that was actually a question I had for you, but we kind of ran out of time to go into that, but absolutely. You know, I, I wonder who is writing that book and, and last question for you, Kristen, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Ah, so actually currently I'm in the middle um, of Rebecca Traster's All the Single Women. I think it's called. So I've, I've been I, I so interested because I'm actually single and she kind of has this whole book about research on it. I've been interested in uh, what happens when women are single and like how that really triggers all these ancient, you know, goes back to great grandmother idea that somehow we're less worthy if we're single, if we don't have someone in our life to give us what we think we need. So I, I'm reading that right now. It's very I good. Love it. I love her work. Okay. And I also love her work on anger as well. So. Okay, well, we'll put that on the list. We love collecting book recommendations. And Dr. Kristen Neff, author of Fierce Self-Compassion. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure as well. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman Life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join our community. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week. So be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.